Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Summer is here and all I want to do is let my hair down and start making memories again and it wouldn't be the same without a delicious drink. Personally, over the past year, I've been trying to drink less alcohol as I know it can have a negative effect on my well-being. However, I haven't wanted to compromise on the experience or taste and that's when I discovered Atopia. Atopia is an ultra-low alcohol spirit, and I mean low, at just 0.5% ABV, it has the same alcohol content as a fresh pineapple. It's infused with a selection of aromatic botanicals and is best served with your favourite tonic and garnish. Oh, and by the way, it contains 75 times less alcohol than a gin and tonic, which means you can go out and still feel fresh the next morning. I can't wait to enjoy a summer without compromise with Atopia, so join in the fun and head over to Waitrose to get a bottle so you can start creating your summer drinks today. This podcast will contain real conversations around alcohol abuse and suicide. Listener discretion is advised, so please only listen if it feels safe for you. Hi and welcome to Open Mind with me, Frankie Bridge. Today I'm joined by GP and TV presenter, Dr. Zoe Williams. You will have seen Zoe on screens answering questions, raising awareness around loads of important health-related issues. But also, she was my hero on our trek um, to Namibia. She literally forced me around that desert, didn't you, Zoe? (laughs) There was one particular day where I thought... I just need to keep talking. As long as I keep talking, <laughs> as long as we were continuing to have a conversation and we talked about so much crap. But I thought if I just you keep did. you talking, you're fine. The minute we stopped talking, you know, I could see it was getting difficult for you. But it was quite cool because they kept wanting me to be in the van and I wanted to walk. So, um, yeah, but it was it was it was a great experience overall and I was so proud of you. You did such a good job. Oh, no. I wouldn't have been able to do it without you though. And I do, oh. I actually can think of that time that you're thinking about and I do remember thinking, because <laughs> she, she talks a lot. But it was great. You must have been like, oh, what do we talk about next? <laughs> Look oh, at the colour of the sky. <laughs> oh, it's so nice. That was the point where I'd got to where I felt like the Beatles were taking the piss out of me. That's how bad it had got. I, I remember, remember how you fast saying they that. were. They I were re- like the only thing that were alive out there. And I was like, they're even faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Do you anyway. know what, though? It was, I think, just watching you go through what you went through over those few days and to come out the other... I was honestly so proud of you. Proud of Grimmy as well, because he went through a lot in a different way. But honestly, babe, so proud of you. Like, the the inner strength that you have. Um, yeah, very impressed. Thank you. I'm still, my um, toenails are still not fully returned to normal. <laughs> That's God. the one thing that, like, I'm still paying for it. <laughs> it was worth it. It's when, it's when the medical team would come and treat your blisters and they'd pull out their blade and you're just like, oh, my God. Oh, it was, yeah, the, pe- the physical pain was horrendous. Um, oh. But, yeah, the mental struggle was, wasn't pleasant either. Was, no. Um, we, uh, during that chat, I remember talking to you about you had not long been with your 
partner yeah you were just kind of at the beginning stages right yeah and then and you were saying to me right and then I'm gonna get back and um I'm gonna have a baby in March I think I remember you saying what month (laughs) did we do the trek was it Um, February February. yeah we did the trek in February and I was like yep next period gonna get pregnant need to have a baby soon getting on a bit gonna be 40 you were just so like this is it this is the plan um and you are a mum now. Yay. Little baby Lisbon. So cute. Oh, God, Such a lovely where did the name come from? So Stuart and I actually met in Lisbon um in right. the September. So we went on the trek in February twenty twenty and we'd met just a few months before that in, in September in Lisbon. Yeah, I was there with the girls for the weekend. He was on a work trip and I don't think it happens this way these days that often, but we just met in a bar. I saw a guy that thought was attractive. I was walking past him, he grabbed my hand, introduced himself. And, you know, after nearly 40 years of not finding the right person and getting to that point where I was thinking, gosh, you know, the two things I've always wanted out of life um, was to be a doctor and to be a mum. And, you know, sort of starting to consider going it alone and being a solo parent. And yeah, it's weird. Like the moment we met, we both kind of knew that that, that was it. We were going to be together and have a family. It was, and I'm not a sloppy romantic person and I wouldn't call it love at first sight, but I would say it was a kind of knowing at first sight. Mm. And you've, so now you have baby Lisbon, but it wasn't as easy as you, as you had originally thought it was going to be, was it for you? No. And I think for me that I look back now and I think, that conversation I had with you, it, it sounds a bit cocky, doesn't it? Because I'm very aware of fertility issues. I've myself, luckily, haven't experienced any severe fertility issues, but I've sort of been in touch with the fertility community for quite some time um, because I froze my eggs a few years ago because I was looking at solo parenthood and sperm donations. Um, I am very aware of, of the difficulties that, that people have when it comes to fertility. So it was it was quite a flippant comment, but I think that comes from a place of me really, as I get older, obviously I'm a doctor, so I'm a scientist, But the spiritual side of me has really grown and developed. And I do believe that, you know, manifesting and visualising and believing and putting it into the universe increases the likelihood of it happening. So I think that's what I was doing there is saying, right, when I get home, (laughs) this will happen and that will happen to, I think, increase the chances of of it actually happening. Mm. I loved it. I was like, yeah, you are. I mean, it was great chat for me at at the time. Um, and then, so what motivated you, if we go back to when you were a bit younger, what what were your reasons for wanting to become a doctor in the first place? Um, so I first declared that I was going to be a doctor at the age of three, according to my family. And, um, Impressive. <laughs> and <laughs> so my dad's side of the family are from Jamaica and my grandparents moved to the UK from Jamaica when they were in their 20s. They moved to Burnley, which is a very white community. But my Jamaican grandma trained to be a midwife and she did really well and she ended up sort of running the whole community midwifery services in Burnley. So when I was three, she bought me my first ever like nurse's outfit that had the little doctor's pack with the stethoscope and all of that. And I loved it. And so she sort of proudly says, oh, when you grow up, are you going to be a midwife like me? And apparently I stamped my feet and said no. And my mum said, oh, maybe Zoe's going to be a nurse. And apparently I again stamped my feet and said no and and said, I'm going to be a doctor. And I think 
throughout my childhood, throughout my life, I was fascinated by the human body. I've always had a caring nature. I've always just naturally enjoyed looking after people. That's something that's always come naturally to me. And I've just never thought there's anything else that I want to do. So, so I think from an early age, I was interested. Loved watching Casualty. Uh, that was my favourite TV programme. <laughs> like the opposite to me. I can't watch any doctory stuff on TV. And that <gasps> stresses me out. <laughs> yeah, always like, not enjoyed, but I've never been put off by blood or anything like that. And yeah, and I had quite severe asthma as a child myself. So visited hospital. I was in and out of hospital quite a lot for a period of time with asthma. Loved my consultant who again I think was a role model so I think all those things the role models I think were really important but then also just the two interests in the human body and and caring for people. And was it quite a hard process because there's a lot that goes into it isn't there? Oh my god I don't even know where to start Frankie with talking through so it is quite a difficult process anyway um but for me, I didn't take the normal standard route. I've been meaning to go on Instagram and do a post to share the fact that I didn't get the A-level results I needed to go to medical school. In fact, my A-level results probably wouldn't got me into university to do most things. They were pretty awful. And it wasn't because I wasn't capable of getting A's or um, because I didn't apply myself or because I was lazy. It was just a set of life circumstances at the time, I won't go into or else this will get really long. Um, but, you know, my life wasn't easy at the time. It was quite chaotic. So I didn't get the A-level results. But I think a message to people, to young people out there is your grades at school or at college don't define you and don't necessarily define what you'll do in the future. I took time out of education after that. I lived abroad. I lived in Tenerife for a bit. I lived in Ayanapa for a bit. I worked as a landscape gardener. I sold double glazed windows. You name it, I did it. And years later, I found another route into medical school. And I do believe, you know, if it's your dream, it's your passion, there are multiple ways of, of getting there. So so I actually didn't start medical school until I was 22. Um, oh, really? Yeah, after travelling and working in various jobs and going to university to study biomedical sciences but then almost kind of managing to convince them to upgrade me to, to medical school whilst I was at uni. So, <laughs> so yeah, so it wasn't an easy path. But equally, I think, depending on your background and where you come from, um, whether you're male or female, what ethnicity you are, you know, what sexuality, if you have disability, all of these things determine how easy it is to achieve something like getting into medical school um, and I did quite a bit of work talking to young people from deprived backgrounds and you know there's no denying it is more difficult for you to get there for lots of reasons um, but what I also say is if you do get there your journey from there on forwards can be less difficult than it is for other people I certainly found I would never say medical school was easy because that would just be not true and I think it's quite offensive to people who go to medical school but what I would say is my six years at medical school, because it had been so difficult for me to get there, I didn't struggle. I did find it manageable, despite having three jobs to pay for it, despite being vice captain of the rugby team and having a really good social life. I found it manageable. So, so the message being, the harder it is to get to the start line in the first place, the easier it is to run the race. Hmm. Well, you just seemed like you just weren't going to give up. That was what you wanted to do and you just kept on going. Yeah. Um, would you say that when you were younger, you were always quite headstrong because 
I've read that your mum had quite a tough relationship with alcohol as you were growing up. Yeah. And did, did you find that that impacted your mental health when you were younger or Definitely. did you find that quite difficult? Definitely. Um, so it was, it was in my early teens that my mum started to drink and she, she ended up being completely dependent upon alcohol. You know, at the worst, she was drinking two litres of vodka a day. So it was, it was bad. And, um, and that started in my early teens. And, you know, sadly, she passed away five years ago, nearly now, from alcohol, from, you know, the deterioration oh, really? in her, her brain and her body. So it's been, it's, it was really difficult. It was extremely difficult. I think, you know, really troubling for me as, as a doctor. I used to be sometimes sat in lectures thinking, you know, I'm training here to help people get better and I can't even fix my own mum. And I think when you're the child of, a, of an addict, there's a lot of conversations, if you can call them conversations, that I have with my mum where she would say things that I knew she didn't mean, but it's never easy to feel that you're being you know, second best to a bottle of vodka or she would say some really, really hurtful things in certain Mm. moments. And we know that alcoholics can be very, very abusive. So I think it's, it really has impacted my mental health. And I think it's it's very difficult actually for, for anybody who has a loved one to watch somebody deteriorate and become addicted and, you know, go through that and it, it not impact you, especially if in the end, you know, they die because of it. Mum was often suicidal and she did attempt to take her own life on multiple occasions as well. So I, I'm always told that I'm very resilient and, and I, th- I think I am. And I think I'm, especially because of the job I do, I've been able to, in some ways, use my own experiences, as awful as they've been, to possibly have more empathy with patients and understand patients and, you know, really having had that lived experience, I believe, makes me better at my job but you know I do have I have demons in my closet I have dark days I have a lot of anxiety that I've been really open in talking about and I think largely it is linked to the difficulties and the difficult relationship I have with my mum. And do you find that with your job mental health is becoming a bigger part of your day-to-day life at work? Oh yeah so much so especially since the pandemic I mean before the pandemic it was um, mm. I, work, I work in an area of London where um, a lot of our patients are living in poverty and it's quite a deprived area and that's the type of general practice that I, I choose to do. It's where I believe I can have the biggest impact but especially in the past year I think the, the state of the nation's mental health generally is deteriorated but I think for those with pre-existing mental health conditions um, some people have actually found strength um, but for some people it's just been unbearable and I think one group of people it's affected most is children and young people particularly children of secondary school age or you know university age I just feel that they're, they're, a, they're a group where their mental health is really probably across most of that, the population you know they've struggled and and they've been harmed and we will sadly see the repercussions of that in the future. God, God it's all doom and gloom, isn't it, this? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about mental health. It is, but, you know, but I think recognising that now gives us an opportunity to, to mitigate some of that ha- mm. harm and damage that's been done. I don't think it's outside of our grasp to 
to support those people. And I know the government are making the right noises now about heavily investing financially in the mental health of young people. Um, but that needs to happen immediately. And, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It needs to happen yesterday. No. It almost feels like we've got to the point now where people feel they're able to ask for help and they're able to come forward and say that they need it, but they, it's, it's at there. the minute, unfortunately, the help isn't there. No. And I think that's the hardest thing. And I think there is, there is some help there for adults. So for people over the age of 18 who have um, sort of the symptoms of low mood, um, anxiety, um, that's at those stages where it's perhaps just getting to the point where they're thinking there's a problem, then there is a lot of support now. So there's a service called iAPT where you can access talking therapy and you can do it yourself. You can self-refer online or through your GP. Um, but for people who have really, you know, established mental health issues and for people under the age of 18, there just aren't sufficient resources out there. And yeah, you're right. In some ways, people can come forward and ask for help. And there is some help, but that help isn't, you know, it isn't sufficient or intense enough for, for many people. And do you feel like with your, your experience with your mum when you were growing up and now your experience as, as a GP, do you find yourself thinking how you'll deal with things with Lisbon or how you'll talk to him about things like mental health? Yeah, I mean, he's only 10 weeks old. I haven't given him much thought. <laughs> Come on, sorry, think about it. <laughs> um, but I think, do you know what, my, my ethos around this generally is openness. I was very, I was a closed book about all this stuff up until, oh, probably up until about 10 years ago, like throughout my university um, my housemates and those really close to me knew about my mum's problems because she they saw it, but I was very closed about it. I was quite ashamed of it. I felt that it reflected badly on me, um, as did my own mental health issues. So I, was, I didn't speak openly. And, and what I've found through my own experiences, the more I've opened up and the more I've shared, actually the opposite is true. And it's helped so many people, me sharing my own experiences. And, and it's helped me, actually, because... I've had such a such positive feedback and people, you know, showing me and telling me and explaining to me how to have done what I've done and achieve what I've done despite the difficult times I've been through. That is something to be proud of, not be ashamed of. Uh, and I think you only learn that when you become brave enough to actually open up and share and start talking. And also all of my friends and people who have then opened up to me and said, oh, I've experienced similar, oh, I've been through this, oh, I'm so glad you shared that, now I feel I can open up to you about this. It really does open up a whole new world where, for somebody like me, where I like to help other people and I like to know what's going on in people's lives um, <laughs> and I keep it in strict confidence. Um, it, you know, helping other people helps me. So I once had some really good advice from a therapist. I finally started having therapy um, three years ago and I had therapy for six months and it helped me so much and I remember my therapist saying um, 
you know how you benefit so much from helping other people. Why do you benefit so much from helping other people? I said, well, it gives me a sense of purpose. Um, it makes me feel proud. It makes me go to bed that night thinking I helped somebody today and it makes me feel worthy. And she said, by not asking for help from the people that love you and care about you, by keeping it all to yourself, by trying to be brave and trying to be strong and not sharing your own struggles, that's quite selfish in a way. She said, because you're not giving those people that you love and care about the opportunity to feel the benefits that you feel when you help them. And reframing it that way really helped me open up and think, you know, by sharing my issues and problems and allowing people I care about to help me and support me, I'm doing them a favour, not being a burden. Yeah, that's such a good way of thinking of it because it makes you feel worthy and like you can go, like you said, like you can go to bed and feel good about helping someone. You can do that for someone else by letting them help you. But it's funny, people like you, like GPs or people that have always had to be strong and look after other people always find it so hard to be looked after. Yes. Yeah, I find it very uncomfortable being looked after. And even Stuart was, um, Stuart, that's my partner, he when you know going through the pregnancy and whenever I was seeing the midwife and we had a doula who was amazing um, but whenever the doula would come and visit it'd say you're doing it again they're walking through the door they're coming to help and look after you and as soon as they come through the door you're trying to find out what problems they have that you can help them with <laughs> it's not about them it's about you can you just let them help you so in the end I had this really frank and open conversation with my doula and said look I have this tendency and this awkwardness around being looked after so I'm throwing that out there so you know and you know that that really helped and it helped me you know hand that looking after role over to them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you planning a party, a barbecue, or even a garden soiree this summer? Now we're getting used to hosting again, we have to cater to all the needs of our guests. Lots of my friends and family don't like to drink too much alcohol, but love the taste and the celebration, and there's no reason why they should lose out. I always make sure to have a bottle of Atopia on hand so I can rustle up a quick Atopia and tonic for the designated drivers, expectant mothers, or those who just want to take a night off. And it even goes down well with the big drinkers too. I believe moderation shouldn't come with a compromise. To get started on your cocktail journey, head over to Atopia Spirits to get inspired. How have you found having Lisbon and then, you know, letting anyone help you? Have you have you had much help? Have you needed much help? Um, it's just us, really, because it's Stuart, Stuart and I, neither of us have family that live nearby. Stuart's mum, Granny, um, came and spent four nights with us and it was amazing. I mean, Stella is lovely. She's wonderful. And you know, just even things like getting up in the morning and somebody had emptied the dishwasher. It was like, oh such help and a relief and then we went out for dinner and she looked after Lisbon but apart from that it is just the two of us 
So mm. um, Stuart obviously just had the two weeks of paternity leave and then he's been back at work, but able to work from home a couple of days a week, which is great. And I've just started these past two weeks working, I'm working one day a week. So that's, this is my work day to day. So, no. so we're kind of trying to juggle this thing where Stuart gets up and works for three or four hours first thing in the morning. Then I have my stint in the middle of the day and then he works again in the evening. So he still does his work day. So we're, we're figuring it out. But I think, you know, he's 10 weeks old now, another couple of weeks and perhaps we'll look at getting a little bit help. Even if it's just one day a week, getting somebody to help with looking after him. I think mm. it's, it's, it's starting to feel more comfortable for me to have somebody else look after him for a short period of time but yeah still a bit clingy with him at the moment yeah and did you find because you were pregnant through lockdown weren't you yes how did you find that I I didn't mind it I think it really because I'm probably I'm sure like you such a busy person usually because you know I work hard and I play hard and I have a really active social life and I love to go to the gym and and all of that and I think that being in lockdown and just taking the opportunity to be out and about away from me helped me to rest more and focus a bit more on just being chilled and sleeping. Because I've got massive FOMO as well. And I think, you know, when you're pregnant, you just don't have the energy to do everything, but I would have been trying to. So I actually didn't mind it. And in the first few months when you're not necessarily wanting it to be public knowledge, it was much easier to to keep that yeah. that little secret as well so so I didn't mind it but then obviously there were some things there are there were some downsides so Stuart wasn't able to come to all of the appointments with me mm-hmm. but the hospital we went to he was able to come to the scans which was great um but yeah personally it wasn't it was okay I'm glad it was during you, the pregnancy rather than now that he's been born yeah and you were working back in the in the surgery weren't you yes Yes. while you were pregnant was that not were you not nervous of covid and everything or you felt quite chilled um, i suppose as a doctor you kind of know what yeah, you should and shouldn't be doing i personally didn't feel that i was at any increased risk working in the surgery because i've had covid i think we had it at a similar time yeah. didn't we <laughs> yeah <laughs> um back at the start of the pandemic so i've had it and when it came to the time for me to consider whether to have my vaccine in pregnancy or not um, the nurse at our practice who leads on on COVID suggested because you're meant to sort of weigh up the risks and benefits. And this is before we had the data from America saying it's absolutely fine to go ahead. Um, she said, why don't we just check your antibodies? And I still had a high level of antibodies. Did you? Yeah. I'm so ju- I had none. Oh, did you not? Like, really not. Yeah, one of my friends, she was ill around the same time and she didn't even feel that ill. Like she'd gone for a run on one of the days before she realised that she had it. And I was flawed. Yeah. And I, a few months later had an antibody test. I had none and she still had hers. Oh. I was so annoyed. <laughs> yeah. So, so, oh, you're lucky. I know, lucky. <laughs> so, so I knew I still had antibodies. And, you know, the reality is in general practice that the way we're working is different. So although we do see patients face to face, the number we see is much less. And I was wearing four PP when I was seeing them. So I actually felt like I'm probably more at risk when I'm getting on the bus or on the tube on the yeah, way to work than I am. market or something. Ex- exactly. So, and I have had my vaccine now, by the way. So. Oh, have you? Just, just, just to clear that up in any case anyone's thinking, ooh. <laughs> Are you double jabbed? Double jabbed. Ask AZ. Mm. 
Um, so whenever I have a guest on, I always ask Instagram followers to ask questions. Okay. Um, and I had quite a few in for you, I suppose, being a doctor as well. But I guess you have to watch what you say and what you do, do and don't answer. But I think most of them are, are aimed at you anyway. Um, someone's asked, has becoming a mum changed your perspective on certain things as a doctor? Yes. So not even personally as a doctor. It has. Um, really? Yeah, absolutely. I think particularly around childbirth. Um, because when I first became pregnant, I'd always thought that I would want to have an elective C-section, which is the most medicalised way to, to yeah. have a baby. And that was based on my experiences of doing six months in obs and gynae and as a doctor, I'm on labour wards, so my experience of childbirth is is women who were already high risk or who have come to labour ward because of complications. So, um, so that's what in my mind what I thought I wanted, and it was really weird. Like throughout pregnancy, like the medical voice in me got quieter and the maternal voice in me got louder, and I ended up having a home birth. Um, Did you? Yeah, but what I realised is that I've learned all the medical stuff about childbirth, but I actually knew no- I knew nothing about childbirth. I learned more from my hypnobirthing <laughs> teacher and my doula than I'd learnt in medical school about normal physiological birth. And and I think, yeah, it's totally changed in my like views of that. non n- like births that aren't high risk, Yes, yeah, so, for, for, so just like a normal birth. So, yeah, if you take a woman who has no risk factors, who is completely low risk, who decides and successfully gives birth vaginally without any intervention which is what's most common I knew nothing about that like what happens the hormones that your brain produces and the different positions that you may want your body to get into the effects of different types of analgesia that are non-drug analgesia such as water you know we're not taught that as doctors we're only taught about which makes sense because we're only Mm. we have no place doctors have no place at birth like my birth was, which was, you know, as good as it gets. We are there when things, when women choose to have medical intervention or when they are advised to have medical intervention because it's safer or when that becomes required during childbirth. So so therefore, I'd never really learnt about the, you know, the straightforward, normal, low-risk mm. births. And when I did, it was like, yeah, actually, that's what I want. I don't want to see it. So I ended up giving birth at home, in this room where I am right now, um, <laughs> without a midwife present, which wasn't the plan. I did want a midwife, right. but they were late. And um, just with our doula there and Stuart. And it was, you know, a very, very lucky and very grateful that Were neither of you without... nervous? Was Stuart no. as calm as you were? Yeah, we both were. Really? I was just in the zone because I'd got myself into the mindset of my body will give birth to this baby. It's got nothing to do with me, like my body. Women give birth in comas and I'm low risk. There's no reason. And I don't know, I just intuitively knew that it was going to be fine. So, so I kind of like just handed the job over to my body to birth the baby. And I knew that my responsibility was to stay calm, not get frightened, not freak out, allow myself to feel loved because that helps the oxytocin, which drives the birth, um, and to do my best to tolerate the sensations that we call them. Mm -hmm. It it was effing painful. Um, (laughs) That go with the childbirth. So so therefore I knew I had to stay calm because I was at home and if I I knew if I panicked, then it would, yeah, that would be... Well, I suppose what I mean, I've 
I didn't have a, a vaginal birth, so I don't know. But I, in my head, I always imagined that it's the same with most things. Like if the more you fight against it and the more scared and uptight you are, obviously yeah. that's going to tighten everything and make everything so much harder and you're not going to breathe properly. And exactly. so it's the most relaxed you can possibly be. Exactly. And, the and what best I, it'll be. What I learned, which is just mind-blowing, that your brain produces oxytocin and that's a hormone that helps the contractions basically helps drive the childbirth along in the right way um, but alongside oxytocin your brain brain also releases endorphins which are the natural painkillers so you want as much of those two to be released from your brain as possible if you get frightened if you get scared if you have a shock if you I don't know go into a hospital and there's bright lights and people then your brain will produce cortisol the stress hormone and that mm has what we call a negative feedback loop. So the more cortisol it is, that dampens down how much oxytocin and endorphins there are around. Um, and that, you know, can delay things, which is often why, you know, and it's fine, women may experience that when they're going to hospital, things slow down for a while. And then once they feel comfortable, they're in a room, they pick up again. So even just knowing that and thinking, look, I don't want any cortisol, so I just need to stay zen That's despite crazy. everything. And Stuart, I mean, it wasn't quite as we planned. We didn't have a midwife. The birth pool didn't have the right adaptions for the tap, so we couldn't fill the birth pool, so we had to come up with a, <laughs> an idea. And in the end, he ended up draining water from the bath into the pool. And But yeah, it was all okay on the day, oh, luckily. <laughs> God, I didn't know any of that stuff. Well, neither did None I. So neither did I, so... Um, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but someone said, did you ever feel pressured to get in pregnant as you got older? And how did you kind of keep calm about it? Did you find people would start asking you about that as you got older? Yeah, I think I probably felt felt more pressure for myself than other people. And it was something I talked about quite a lot with people because I felt everybody's different and I have friends that don't want to have children and, you know, that's absolutely fine. I have friends that think if it happens, it happens. For me, I... I used to say to people I can't imagine I'm 41 now I've lived half of my life and I can't imagine what the second half of my life's going to look like if I'm not a mum like what am I going to do like I'm sure if for whatever reason I can't have children and I don't have children I'll make the most of it but I just can't even imagine what that looks like so I'd put a lot of pressure on myself and I'd frozen my eggs when I was 38 and um, before I met Stuart I'd actually pretty much made the decision that I was going to go it alone, use a sperm donor and have a baby as a solo parent. And luckily, my knight in shining armour turned up. And I'm sure that would have been great, but very, very... And now I have a baby, I think, oh my gosh, that how would have difficult. Been so hard. Absolute respect to all the single parents out there because I can't, you know, now I can imagine how difficult that must be. Mm. I can hear little man now. Yeah, yeah, can you hear him? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah little newborn. I know, uh, he's upstairs with daddy, he's okay. <laughs> Having said that, when I hear him, it does physically hurt my body to hear him. Does but, it? But, you know, I'm staying cool. <laughs> um, do you know what this is? And um, I might be saying this wrong, Vaginis, vaginismus? Yes. What is it? So, so vaginismus is involuntary contraction of the muscles at the opening to the vagina. So um, oh. people who have this can find it 
difficult or even impossible to have sexual intercourse. Um, okay. It's something that is much more common than I think we realise because people find it very difficult to come forward and, and ask for help. And often when patients do present with this, they think they'll often say something along the lines of my vagina won't take a penis. It's, it's too small. It's too tight. Yeah. It can't. And actually, we know that vaginas all can it's this it's this condition called vaginismus and it can be treated so if anyone who's experiencing that go to your gp if your gp's not that understanding or you know because it is something that's not that well known about yeah i've never heard of it um just go back or um print off some information off an nhs source and take that in with you um there's a really great doctor i think she's the sex doctor or sex doctor on Instagram and she often writes about it so oh really yeah so you know it's something that is not dangerous it can be fixed it can be treated and relatively common okay yeah because they said it's really debilitating and barely talked about and they were asking for tips on where to go so that's amazing if they can go to this the sex doctor or sex so, yeah, doctor on Instagram sex and doctor maybe for see. a bit more info and then GP yeah take call. it to the GP great idea um and then finally someone said do you suffer with anxiety which we know you do mm-hmm. what are your coping mechanisms I know you love to work out a lot that's yeah. kind of you're like a machine like <laughs> even in lockdown you got um I noticed you got all the women in your surgery didn't you yeah, running wasn't yeah. it? or like just moving certain amounts of times a day yeah so we were doing do socially distanced hit workouts yeah. in the waiting room when there yeah. were no patients there <laughs> yeah it was quite entertaining to watch some of them you could tell they were like oh she's got us doing it again <laughs> yeah. but do you find that really helps you with anxiety yeah that's my that's my number one treatment and um and I've I'm not currently taking any medication for my anxiety but I have taken medication in the past but, but yeah, I view ex- I love exercise, I enjoy it, and I'm so lucky that I enjoy it because I know a lot of people don't feel that way, so that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, but for me, it is, it's my medicine, it's my treatment. I currently have anxiety that is well-controlled because of exercise. It's been difficult, actually, having the baby because after the baby, that's one thing. I've been going out for walks every day, and I've actually been seeing a pelvic health physiotherapist who's who's guiding me so I can get back to exercise as quickly as possible but 10 weeks in and I still can't do a lot of the things that I'd like to do I can't run yet I can't lift heavy weights so I'm just being sensible and preserving my continence in the future but uh but yeah that's my that's my number one treatment and breathing breathing exercises is something that I can go to like in the moment so I, I really like the box breathing technique and just, just remembering to take those few moments, you know, 30 seconds to just catch your breath and take a few deep breaths to just ground yourself and centre yourself. You're worth those 30 mm. seconds is what from my mantra. Have you found that frustrating after having the better than kind of starting training again and not being able to do the things that you could before? Yeah, I mean, I think that a newborn baby keeps you so busy that it's a bit of a distraction <laughs> and you can't think you know trying to find the time to do it even if I could but but yeah definitely I did do one workout it was the first weekend um after Stuart gone back to paternity leave so I'd done the whole five days looking after him on my own and on the Saturday Stuart said right I've got him today you know I'll bring him to you when he needs to feed but otherwise you do what you want and I was like I'm going to do and do a workout so I went up to our spare room and 
and I did this full-on workout and I felt so good and then the next day I was like I, sh I did more than I should have done and I felt I didn't mm. feel great for it so so yeah it's definitely something I'm looking forward to getting I'm really looking forward to getting back to being able to do something like sprint up a hill I just think oh god that would feel You're so, so good. weird <laughs> I wish I was like you. Yeah, you know what I'm really, really looking forward to? Sprinting up a hill. Yeah. <laughs> Words that have never come out of my mouth. And you know, you know when you get to this, after your third hill sprint, you get to the top and your lungs yeah. feel like they're burning and you're out of breath and you're sweating and you just feel like, oh, that sense of relief. Yeah, that, that, third, that third hill sprint, yeah. No, yeah that third one. <laughs> The people, there are some people out there that know exactly what I'm talking about yeah. and other people are going, would you know are what mental. <laughs> what are you on about? <laughs> and have you, have you found, like you say, you, you do have anxiety. Have you found it better or worse since having Lisbon? Um, combination. Um, yeah. A I would say my sort of stable level, my um, sort of, background level of anxiety is better and I think that's because I care less about a lot of stuff that I used to care about it's like I have this whole new perspective that's what and I always say yeah like if I've got vomit on my shoulder walking down the street I don't care what other people if other people see that and <laughs> so I would say my background level of anxiety is better but my spikes of anxiety that I experience are a whole new high because I think that's just and I think that's probably less linked to my having anxiety as an as a condition as an illness and more I think that's probably what every new mum of a newborn experiences like you know going to the shops the supermarket with the baby in a pram that background mm. that, that anxiety of at any moment this could turn into chaos and <laughs> it, one or both of you could have a total meltdown um just yeah everything is a but I'm trying to reframe that as exciting so when I go out and like your heart's pounding and he's asleep and you're thinking please stay asleep please stay asleep mm. um that feeling which is anxiety I'm trying to reframe and tell myself it's it's excitement and it's exciting having a newborn and doing the, all these new things yeah and I think the easiest thing to do would be to stay at home and just you know you feel safe at home you can deal with whatever happens but by calling it exciting and accepting there will be challenges and that kind of helps me get out and about and feel like yep. I'm winning when it goes well. Yeah, it's a nice feeling, isn't it? When yeah. you're like, oh, that was okay. Yeah, we went out <laughs> for lunch and we ate lunch and nobody cried and that was great. <laughs> None of us. <laughs> um, well, I, at the end, I always ask people to give like their last three kind of tips. I was trying to think what yours should be because yours, so, yours is so varied. You're a new mum, you're a GP. I'm like, hmm, where should I go with it? But I was thinking maybe as a new mum and I feel like, you know, I, I've just written a book about being a parent and I feel like as, as a mum, you often feel like you can't really go to GPs with problems of, with babies and stuff because some GPs can make you feel like you're being a bit neurotic or you feel yeah. like you're being a bit neurotic or um, a lot of mums don't come forward when they're feeling like they, they can't really cope yeah. because we kind of feel like that's shameful and that someone might think that we don't love our child and our baby or that we're not coping. So I thought maybe you could maybe give us three tips on 
helping yourself in coming forward how how would you encourage new mothers to come and speak and open up I suppose whether yeah. that's to a GP or a friend yeah and I think being a new mum myself I I understand all of that on a on a, a different level to what I ever did before mm. there's that huge sense of responsibility isn't it to be perfect um first thing I'd say is mental health issues problems struggles when you're a new mum are not just common I would think it's the nor it's the exception to not have any strain on your mental health because of a number of reasons because of the hormones because of the lack of sleep because of this huge sense of responsibility because your life has changed your world has changed um so nobody is ever going to judge you even though it might feel like that nobody is ever going to judge you um and if that is that you are actually suffering from something more more severe like postnatal depression or even postpartum psychosis um I know women feel that they will be judged as a bad parent or sometimes people think, you know, if I share that, they might try and take my baby away from me. And the absolute opposite is true. As a healthcare professional, as a GP, I'm sure I speak for the vast majority of GPs. When a woman comes to you in that postpartum period and shares with you that they're struggling with their mental health and asks for help, that is brave. That is the most responsible thing that you can do as a new parent. And, you know, the important thing is there is, so in that particular phase of your life, there is help for you. There is help and support. So however bad it is, it can get better, but you must ask for help. Nobody's going to try and take your baby away from you. Nobody's going to judge you. People are only going to think how brave and amazing you are. And it's totally normal. And... I don't know whether that's three tips or possibly even no, more. No, I think that's perfect. That is perfect. It just sums everything up. I think anyone listening that's about to be a new mother or is a new mum, they definitely need to hear that. So thank you. I've loved talking to you. I've loved catching up with you. Aww. But also, I just think you're just perfect for the podcast. As I said, doctor, new mum, just a general lovely human. So Aww, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Frankie. Lovely <laughs> to catch up with you. And congrats on the new book. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Mind. I hope this has been really helpful to you. And if you have been affected by this episode or would like to find out any more information regarding mental health, then please head over to mind.org.uk. And please follow me on Instagram and look out for my stories where I reveal each new guest and collect all of your awesome questions to put forward to them. Hope to have you back soon. Are you trying to cut down on alcohol to boost your well-being? Well, personally, I love going out for drinks with my friends, but hate how I feel the morning after. And that's why I decided to moderate my alcohol intake with Atopia. They have an ultra-low alcohol spirit that tastes just as good as my usual drink without any of the nasty side effects or embarrassing photos. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Wake up with a spring in your step and your well-being in check. Available from Waitrose and online.